This is Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, verse 14 through 19. A word of the Lord. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. The word of the Lord. Thanks. All right, so we've been in the book of Nehemiah. Um, Some of you maybe have been here, and some of you maybe haven't. Uh, If you haven't been, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, And this book really is about uh, a guy who uh, God put it on his heart to do something pretty remarkable for God's people in rebuilding uh, the wall and really rebuilding and re-inhabiting the city of Jerusalem. And he's met a lot of resistance along the way uh, to that work, but he has persevered in that work uh, because he understood something, and that is uh, if there's no wall around the city, uh, there is no safety, and if there is no safety, uh, then there won't be any city, and if there is no city, then there won't be any temple, and if there isn't any temple, there won't be any worship of God in Israel, historically, and I would say us historically, if I'm not worshiping God, I'm going to worship something else. Is basically, that's the story. That's the story that Scripture paints for us. It's the story of our lives. I'm either worshiping the Lord or I'm worshiping something else. And so Nehemiah understands this wall is critical uh, because it leads to us being able to worship the Lord, which is what we're made to do. Uh, it reorients our hearts and our minds to the truth of the relationship that we're called to be in with Him. So he's faced a lot of resistance in that, because anytime you're trying to do something like that, that is what God wants, you're going you're gonna to incur resistance. And he dealt with some of the external resistance, the Sambalots and Tobias who were fighting against him. And then last week we talked about this group of Jews, these nobles and officials, people who wouldn't participate in the work, like they wouldn't actually go to work on the wall and get their hands dirty, but they had spent uh, a lot of time creating this kind of Ponzi scheme on some levels where they were taking advantage of the Jews that were working on the wall, their fellow man, and exacting incredible interest from them, from this group of people, uh, while they weren't working. So I'm not going to work, but I'm actually going to take advantage of you, exact interest in, from you, not take an interest in you. And as a result, it was driving this, a large number of Jews into further poverty. And so Nehemiah confronts that sin of greed in those nobles and officials He calls them to publicly repent, if you guys remember that, publicly repent from what they had done and change. Hey, stop doing this and start doing this. Stop breaking 
ultimately what was the Mosaic law said, don't do that. Not, not just stop breaking the law, but stop breaking the heart of the law. You're treating your brothers poorly. You're doing things towards them that you're not called to do. So that's, he's been dealing with that, but he takes a turn in this last half of five, and he actually takes a deep cut on himself. And Nehemiah practices, in many ways, what he's preaching, and he leads by significant example by being extremely generous in an area that he wasn't required to be generous in. Okay? So three things I want us to consider. Ooh, careful. In this text that we see in Nehemiah, hopefully it will encourage us and cause us to kind of lean in. Three things. The first one is this, when our rights can become wrongs. Okay? When our rights can become wrongs. Secondly, a heart that is captured by what is right. So I think we see that in Nehemiah. His heart was captured by what was right. And then this prayer at the end, this little one-sentence prayer, uh, remember me with favor, oh God, okay? So when our rights can become wrongs, a heart that is captured by what is right, and then remember me with favor, okay? So first, when our rights can become wrongs. There are these little words, it's in the first part of 14 and the first part of 17 uh, that, I don't know, for me, I can often read over in the Bible. They're just kind of like transition words. The word moreover and the word furthermore. But what he's getting at by starting these two sections with those words is is he's saying, I'm actually going to go a step further from what you just saw me do in challenging the nobles and officials and what they were doing, which was wrong taking advantage of their fellow Jews, I'm actually going to go further than that. I'm going to go more than that. Moreover, from the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor, so I'm in leadership now, right? That's what he's saying, in the land of Judah. Until his 32nd year, for 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. I didn't take what was my right to take, the food that was allotted to the governor. And what he's doing there is he's actually not just saying to those nobles and officials, hey, stop doing this, but I'm going to look at my own situation and I'm going to look at how I can actually sacrifice and make an impact in the need that I see, even in an area of my life where I have the right to not do that. Does that make sense? Because he had rights to food and provisions as the governor. That was his right, right? He's in, a, he's in a leadership position. He's got a lot of weight on him. And so as a result, how this worked is that they, they would actually tax the people a certain amount of their money, a certain amount of their grain, a certain amount of their cows, a certain amount of their wine. And that's how he got what he needed as governor. But he was looking out over the situation and realizing these people are what? They're under an incredible heavy burden. And I have rights to take things from these people for myself, but just because I have those rights, it wouldn't make it right for me to use those rights. What Nehemiah was showing here is is that ultimately I'm not devoted first and foremost to my rights. So much so that he went without what he was entitled to, not for a weekend, but for 12 years. I mean, think about that. You know, that's not mocha club sort of stuff. Like, that's, 
major sacrifice. Twelve years. And why? I mean, all of his other predecessors did this. Nobody would have balked at this and said, like, what are you doing? It's just what governors do, right? They just think about themselves, take care of themselves off the backs of other people. He didn't do it like his other predecessors. Why does he say? Instead, oh, sorry, out of uh, verse 15, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. That's the why. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. It's not just that he saw the needs that he saw. Because I don't know, if you're like me, sometimes I can see a need and say, okay, I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to kind of go without. But eventually, what starts to kind of bubble up in me is, is like, me needs me some me things, right? Like, I can kind of do it for a little while. <laughs> but eventually, my needs kind of, they kind of rise to the surface. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to be making this kind of a sacrifice. Well, Nehemiah is telling us not just where the motivation, where the power to make that kind of sacrifice comes from. Out of a reverence for God, when you revere something, when you respect something, effectively what he's saying is, is I see myself as under the Lord. I revere the Lord. It's actually out of my humility before him that I'm not going to do this. Out of reverence for God, he did not act like that. He's basically saying, I I see something in the very, this is what reverence is, I see something in the very nature of God himself. This is who the Lord is. This is the way the Lord is. And that's why I'm not going to act that way. And instead, what does he do? He devotes himself and his men. All my men were assembled there for the work. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall, and all my men were assembled there for the work and we did not acquire any land. What is he saying? I devoted myself to the work of the wall. I devoted my men to the work of the wall. I devoted myself effectively to the common good rather than acquiring my own personal land, which would have been devoted to my good, right? Devoted to my good versus devoted to the common good. And Nehemiah is saying, I'm going to revere the Lord, and as a result, I'm going to be devoted to the common good rather than revere myself. And be devoted to my own good. What Nehemiah understood was, in this instance, I could stand on my rights as governor, but it would be wrong to do so. It would be wronging others. And so I'm not going to do it. So for us, that should cause us to stop and consider. We should ask ourselves this question. Or I'm going to ask us to ask this question. It would be good for us to ask, Where is it in my life, where have my rights, the things that I'm I'm entitled to, where have my rights and my standing on those things actually led me into a wrong place? Maybe another way to ask that would be this. Where am I more committed to me and what I'm entitled to rather than compelled by what I see others need and what I see the Lord and his heart towards those people are? Because we're, we're in a rights, I would say this probably more acutely maybe than ever, we're in a rights-obsessed culture, this day and age. Everybody's concerned about it. Rights. And the very nature of rights being put in place by law, why rights are put in place by law, 
They're there for this reason, that all people would be protected, that all people would be provided for, that all people would be treated well and treated fairly and treated with equity. Rights being put in place by law are inherently there to protect against people being disadvantaged. They're not there for the advantaged to twist or to abuse in order to grow their advantage. That's why rights are put in place by law. And why they have to be put in place by law, why they were put in place in the Mosaic Law back in this day, or by our, our laws of this country today. I mean, who can do School of Rock? You know? Bill of Rights? Wasn't that one of the famous ones? Who can sing it for me right now? Janie, you can do it. I knew you could do it. I'm just a bill up on Capitol Hill. Right? Why they're put into law, why there's got to be a consequence if we break those laws, is this, because since the garden, human nature has been this. It's been displaying this, that I will use my position, my rights, almost exclusively for my own advantage. That's what sin does to the heart. Sin says, I'm going to be about my rights. That's why in Galatians 3, Romans 5 says this, that the law actually was put in place in order that sin could be seen. The law was added, is what Romans says, for the trespass might increase, that we might become aware of the fact of what I just said. If the law wasn't there, I wouldn't even realize how much I'm inclined to just use my position for me. So the law was given to make sin seen, helps to see where we're sinful, but it's also given that we might actually see our necessity for a Savior from that thing in me that keeps putting me first. I need Jesus. He's the only one who's going to set me free from that. So rights today in our cultural context, they're almost exclusively seen as a pathway to just my individual freedom or my individual gains not what we see here, what we see going on in the heart of Nehemiah, a heart that is captured by God, which is that our rights are actually something I can lay down. I don't have to exercise my rights just for my own good. I can exercise them for the common good. It's basically saying just because I have a right doesn't require me to use it just for me. So Nehemiah didn't allow his rights to become wrongs. Secondly, and I think this is, is why, it's because he had a heart that was captured by what was truly right. What does he say? Furthermore, so I didn't do what the nobles and officials were doing. He's not humble bragging here. I didn't do that. I didn't tax them and take from them. But I had reverence for God. I didn't do that. I devoted myself to the wall. Furthermore, so Let's go even further, is what he's saying. Let's take another step. Furthermore, I'm going to show that I've got a different devotion going on. I'm not just going to go without. I'm actually going to be proactive in a different direction. He supplied what? 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six sheep, some poultry, were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply 
of wine of all kinds. The ESV says, now that was prepared at my expense. So not only did he not take from them and, and set a table for himself at their expense, it was out of his own expense that he set that table for 150 Jews and from people from all around the surrounding nations. And he didn't just put out bologna sandwiches, right? Let's get the good cow. Let's bring out, you know, he was the sommelier of the Old Testament, right? Like, let's bring out the good wine, right? And they're going to eat at my table. I'm not going to tax them. Instead, I'm going to be generous towards them. I mean, he was the guy, ultimately, who signed up for every meal train for every baby that was ever born, right? He was the meal train guy, except for everybody, not just the babies. Why? Out of his reverence for God. Not just their need. Out of his reverence for God. And what is that saying here? That, that reverence for God, or another way to say that, they say in, this, in Nehemiah, but they say it in that scripture, fear of the Lord it always shows its health as a heart for what God has a heart for. You see that? This is a beautiful picture. This is a snapshot into the very heart of God for his people. He's a God who provides room at the table. He provides excessively and generously for those who have a heavy burden. That's the God that Nehemiah is in connection with. That's the one he's revering. And so as a result, he's not just not taking advantage of those with heavy burdens, but he's seeking to be an advantage for those with heavy burdens. He's leveraging his position for their benefit. So for us, again, where have my rights actually led me into wrong? That's a good question for us. But for us, how do we step into this? What does it look like for our hearts to be captured ultimately by what's right? Where are we not just taking advantage, not not taking advantage of those with heavy burdens, but trying to be an advantage for those with heavy burdens? A good question for us to ask would be this, who's at our table who's in need? Who's at my table who's in need? Like, do we only dine and make space and crack open wine and throw on the steaks on the grill for people who are just like us? Basically, you come to my house and let's have a big dinner and a party and then I'll come to your house and we're just passing around the expense but we're all a bunch of rich people? I've done that. Who's at my table who's in need? I'll tell you some of the ways that I know our community is doing this, and I, we do a, I think I might not do a very good job of keeping this in front of you. We talked about blessing bags last week. We fed, a, we fed over fall break 200 families, this congregation, not all of Midtown, this congregation fed 200 families, kids from the elementary schools in this neighborhood who rely on free and reduced lunch. We fed those families. That's one way this community steps into that need of saying, hey, these are people who have a burden on them that they can't provide for themselves, and we're going to step into that. Servant Group International, Robin and Dave Dillard, sitting right there. Yes, you can woohoo for them. Yeah, they have a ministry that comes alongside resettled refugees, 30,000 resettled refugees from the Middle East. 
And they come alongside those refugees to serve and love them as they acclimate to being in America. Creating space at the table for people who are not like us, who are desperately in need. They are like us, and they're not like us. They have needs that we don't have. I love it that you're here. Young Life Capernaum, Suzanne Williams, Christopher Williams, the Williams family. A ministry to students with families, students with disabilities and their families. That's a ministry. All these ministries are ministries that we support, that we we are financially involved in, but you can get involved in, in this community that will actually widen your table. Actually put people around your table that, man, these, these aren't people like me. These aren't people in my position. They have needs that I, I maybe don't have. But God's maybe made and given me a position, influence, funds, abilities to actually have an impact on their lives. You'll hear next week, I'm not preaching next week, so the attendance will be way up. Kidding. Uh, Jonathan Nash and DeCarlos Robinson are coming uh, to preach and to share a little bit about Napier. If you don't know about Napier, uh, we are in the middle of a pretty um, complex uh, church plant community development project in the largest housing, project-style housing barrack in the United States. It's here in Nashville. It's in Napier. It's just south of downtown, right off Lafayette. It's a food desert. Um, It's a very, very poor community that has been deeply ravaged uh, by crime, by poverty, uh, by systemic things. Uh, We are subversively going into that community with Jonathan and DeCarlos to be a gospel light and to bring community development and a place for people to heal and meet Jesus. They're going to come share about that. We're doing that. We fund that. You may not even know about that, but that's ways that we as a church are trying to actually have a heart, not just that doesn't do what's wrong, but is captured and saying we're going to be proactive and do what is right. So Nehemiah, he didn't allow his rights to become wrongs. Why? Because he had a heart that was captured by what was right. And he went further, he went further, he went further. And he ends this with this this one-line prayer. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. What do I want to say about this? I don't know about you, but sometimes I do things uh, because I want to be remembered. And I want to be remembered by the people that I did them for. You've heard me talk about the you for me. Um, that I, do these, I can do these generous things because I want to be remembered and appreciated by the people that I did them for. I call that a you for me. I did it for you for me. <laughs> right? That's not what Nehemiah is doing here. What he's saying here in this prayer is... is I'm doing something very difficult here. I'm going on a 12-year fast from what I'm entitled to, and it's hard. And if I don't um, know and believe and experience that, Lord, you're going to remember me with favor, that I, that I have your eyes, that you're looking out for me, because I know you've called me to look out for these people, but are, who's going to look out for me? 
Because these people can't look out for me. Are you going to look out for me? And what he's doing when he's praying that is he's saying, Lord, I know that ultimately I'm not doing this just for them. I'm doing this because you're the audience that I'm doing it for, and I want to be remembered by you for what I'm doing. I'm doing it out of reverence for you, out of devotion to you. And I understand something. I think Nehemiah got this. I'm only in this position of governor because of your grace. I'm in the position of advantage, of privilege, of whatever you want to call it, in that position because you favored me. You put me in that position. And as a result, I'm going to act like somebody who understands that and who lives like that, someone who is favored. Would you remember me? Would you think upon me for good? Nehemiah is basically saying this, what matters most to me is the favor that you alone can give me and to be remembered by you, that is the ultimate reward. Remember me with favor, my God. So where does all this leave us? I hope a few different places. One, I hope it's introspective. I hope you don't go away this morning going, huh, that was interesting. But you actually go home and think, Lord, what position have you put me in and how are you leading me to actually be somebody who would see my position as somebody who not just tries to not do what is wrong, <laughs> but has actually been set free to pursue what is right and to do what is right by others? So I hope it, it, it causes some introspection for us. I hope it inspires us a little bit. It's great to have an example, right? Somebody who you realize like, man, I see somebody going ahead of me in this, and that's what our brother Nehemiah is doing. He's, he's taking a deep cut, and that should inspire us. Maybe you feel a little convicted. I know I did this week. It was convicting to prepare this. Like, Lord, am I, go, am I willing to say, furthermore, furthermore, take more, take more? Because you've given so much, take more. But I hope you leave, not just introspective, inspired, or convicted, I hope you leave mostly grateful. That's, that's my biggest prayer for us this morning, is that you would leave here this morning with a deep, deep heart of gratitude. And here's why. Because just in these, in these five verses we read, this is a snapshot of the entire redemptive history that we see from Genesis to Revelation. Just in these five verses, we, we get a window into a snapshot of the entire redemptive story of the Bible. Because what is the story of the Bible? I mean, in here, this is one guy, Nehemiah, doing something for these people that is absolutely changing their life. One guy making a sacrifice, that's what Nehemiah is doing here, that is changing the lives of thousands of Jewish people. And what is the story of the Bible? It's the story of one man, one man who is fully God and fully man, who stepped into those who were under a heavy burden, right? And instead of asking for something from them, what did Jesus do? He gave something to this. Nehemiah is just a window into and a glimpse into the main story, the big story, the sweeping story, the story of Jesus, the gospel. And guess what the gospel says? We were the ones who were in need. We were the ones under the heavy burden of even our own sin. And guess what? The Lord remembered you. And he favored you. Not just when you did it right, but when you got it wrong. He loved you. This is what the psalmist prays. Remember, Lord, 
your great mercy and your love for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways, but according to your love, remember me. Not according to my good deeds, not according to my sins and my past, according to your love, remember me. For you, O Lord, are good. What is that saying? He's saying, don't remember me because I was good. That's not what Nehemiah is praying here. He's doing good for other people. He's saying, remember me for your good, Lord. I have reverence for you. My heart is captured by what your heart is captured for. So remember me in your love because, Lord, you're good. And that's what he's done for you. If you're in Christ this morning, he remembers you in his love, not because of your behavior, not because you just didn't do the wrong things, or even because you got proactive and did the right things. He remembers you because he loves you. He was the perfect Nehemiah. And our salvation is accomplished through what he gave up. And that wasn't good food and good wine. It was his life because he was devoted to us He left the things that he was allotted to, his rights as the king of the universe, and he emptied himself for us, is what scripture says, because we were the ones under the heavy burden of sin. That was some work we couldn't get out of. We couldn't build that wall or tear that wall down. Jesus had to do it. So what? So at the end of the Bible, guess what the end of the Bible is? It's a feast. It's a huge party. A never-ending party with all the wine you can handle, right? A feast that was set by one man, Jesus Christ, that we could never deserve. And he says, this is what I did for you. Listen to what your Jesus has done for you. This is Philippians 2, and then I'll pray. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not consider his rights to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, that's who you are. You're the one who didn't didn't consider equality and didn't consider your rights as something to be used for your own advantage. And we worship you. We revere you in this moment of sanity like Nehemiah. We see you clearly. And so, Lord, I pray for us that we, we wouldn't let our rights become the thing we're obsessed with to where they become wrongs. Teach us the places where our rights have become wrongs. And would you set us free from that? Allow our hearts to be captured by your heart, captured by what is right, what is, what is right by our fellow man, that we would love and sacrifice and lay down things knowing that you see us and you remember us and that you love us, and that you're good to us. And Lord, you're going to take care of us. Help us to trust in you for that. We worship you now in your name. Amen.